0: I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call lanya That's Creole for something extra. Nobody would have suspected that Pop Pop's old damaged fiddle would turn out to be a $10 million rare instrument. The coveted Stradivarius, crafted by Italian masters, ended up in America by way of the slave trade. And it's that part of its history intertwined with that of Raquan McMillan's families, which is the foundation of the story in The Violin Conspiracy. From the moment that violin is stolen from Ray, author Brendan Slocum propels readers on a journey through classical music performances, American history, current racial tensions, and dysfunctional family dynamics. The Violin Conspiracy is his first book, and it's our April selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. Brendan Slocum is a violinist who has played in orchestras throughout Northern Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C., and the North Carolina native has taught public and private school education for more than 20 years. And Brendan Slocum joins me now from Washington, D.C. Welcome to Under the Radar, Brendan.
1: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's a delight to have you. So now the book is called The Violin Conspiracy. So let's start by listening to some violin music. This is a piece played by violin soloist Caroline Campbell, 10-year-old Li Yu Chen, and violin virtuoso Ju Young Oh. This is Vittorio Monti's Chardas. If you're a classical music aficionado, you know this music. And for the rest of us who know a little bit, it is likely one of the most recognizable, even if I didn't know that before reading your book. So this is the world of the violin conspiracy, and it's clear you have a deep love of this music. I'd like to know what first drew you to
1: classical music. Wow! When I was in third grade, my music teacher played uh, Mozart Symphony Number no. Forty. And she said, "You can always tell that this is Mozart by this little song. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a Mozart." And that just—it got me. It just—it totally got me. I was like, "Wow, that is awesome! It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a Mozart. That is my new jam." So, um, I just—I fell in love with it that day.
0: Oh, wonderful. Now, your main character, Raekwon McMillan, how much of the main character is you? Because we can see by his history and yours, you share a lot.
1: Ninety two percent of Ray is Brendan. Just ninety (laughs) two percent.
0: Okay, All right. So you've been a classical musician then for most of your career as Ray in the book is and doing the work your main character was doing. Was there something specific that happened that pushed you to put pen to paper to begin writing this book and telling Ray's story, which is a little bit of your story as well?
1: Wow. Um, Actually, uh, several things. Uh, I've been carrying around these stories since I was nine years old when I started to play the violin. And um, the summer of 2020 was just, you know, it was a mess for everybody for so many reasons. Being at home with nothing to do and the events that took place with George Floyd also, I figured it was a really good time for people to receive this type of story, you know, seeing as how the world saw what, people who look like me go through regularly.
0: So let's underscore that, because as you've said, and as we've said, this this is about classical music, but it's also about the life of a Black classical musician. And those are two worlds most of us don't know anything about. So for you to mesh them together was really uh, quite something. What do you think uh, most probably surprised people by entering these worlds?
1: it's been twofold one people say i just can't believe things like this actually happened i'm just I uh, you know I, I, you're exaggerating you're being overly dramatic until i read the author's notes oh and then i said oh this really happened to you oh wow now my eyes are opened and um just how cutthroat it is and how difficult it is for black people in the world of classical music it's like People would think, well, if you have a violin and you can play it, it shouldn't be a problem. But yeah, that's that's not quite the case every time. And that surprised a lot of people.
0: So you have that, you know, those very intense experiences, which when I got to the back of the book and, and saw your note, it felt very familiar to me as a Black woman. But I could understand that people would say, oh, my God, did that, that really happen? But we also have just this complete immersion in this love of music, one of the things that just comes off the page is how much you love the music, and you want us, the reader, to love it too. I, I think you were effective in, in in achieving that. You know, balancing that had to be something that gave you a bit of pause. This is your first book, after all.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, as as a musician, you know, as I was writing and doing descriptions of the music and the techniques and everything, I was writing as if I were speaking to another classical musician and, uh, you know, I'd put all the the terminology in and it made perfect sense to me (laughs) and my, my musician friends, when they would read it, Oh yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I would let someone who wasn't a musician read it. And they were like, I have no idea what this is. I don't even know what this means. What, what is, what, So I had to go back and do a lot of uh, rewriting and and use a lot of imagery and metaphors for the descriptions for the music and for the technique. So, yeah, it did give me a bit of pause. Yeah. All
0: right. So we can say and have said that uh, the conspiracy begins when the violin is stolen. That's in the now with Ray at the beginning of the book. And then the rest of the book is flashing back to Ray's life, how he got there and then we, at the end, of course, circle back to the now and we figure out how it got stolen and all of that. Tell me about how you came to plot it this way, the fact that you have American history surrounding the theft of this violin. But I'd like to get you to talk about pulling that all together.
1: Certainly. The historical context, I really wanted a sense of realism and authenticity and As I was writing and doing a bit of research, you know, there were sections that I knew it was going to be really difficult for people to read. And I had to fight to keep a lot of things in the book just because a lot of them would be uncomfortable for people. And, you know, when when we were in elementary school, we were taught about slavery. We were taught America had slaves. Slaves picked cotton. Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, and that's it. Um, but there's just so much more that, that happened, and a lot of people just don't know the real story, and I wanted to bring a sense of uh, realism and authenticity to that. And I know some of those sections are difficult for people to read, but I would I would uh, recommend that everybody just just power through it. It's, it's going to make you a better person.
0: If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm speaking with Brendan Slocan, author of The Violin Conspiracy, his first book, and our April selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. I'd love you to read a piece from the book. At this point in the book, you've persevered, you've become well-known, but this is your first solo with an orchestra and playing what by now has been identified as a rare Stradivarius.
1: The last movement of the concerto was the most energetic. Ray liked to play it at a moderate tempo, and they'd rehearsed it at a moderate tempo, but now the conductor took it faster than Ray had ever done. There was nothing more he could do. He was blind. His mother was pissing off the audience, and he was playing the wrong piece of music at the wrong tempo. Awesome. Did Hilary Hahn ever have to deal with this? Bring it. Just freaking bring it. Stand tall, Grandma Nora had told him. He would stand tall. With the spotlight shining on his face and his music would pour into all of their ears and they would understand that no matter what anyone threw at him, he was not going away. He was not stooping to their level. The air conditioning could go off. He could melt. They could toss any piece of crappy music they wanted at him and he would play. He would not be ignored or denied or embarrassed ever again. He was a musician and music had no color. When his last note rang out, the audience sprang to his feet applauding.
0: That's my guest, Brendan Slocum, reading from his book, The Violin Conspiracy. Let's play the piece of music that Ray McMillan was playing in that piece. This is Max Brooks' violin concert with violinist Hilary Hahn, who you reference in that section. Brendan, Hillary was good, and so was Ray. have to be good to play that, right? (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's right. That's not even the piece he wanted to play, yeah. (laughs)
0: Exactly. I want to say that, uh, of course, tension is a part of any mystery, and you have several levels of tension going on. I'm tense all the time worrying that Ray is going to make it through these concerts and so relieved (laughs) when he does, and then I'm tense all the time worrying about, well, who in the world, in in his world, uh, would have stolen the violin And also because of your family, your family, as portrayed in this book, is quite dysfunctional. And so people are going to think, oh, yeah, what does that mean? Well, at one point, your mom in the book says, uh, not you, your mom, Ray's mom says, you could have been making good money at Popeye's by now. She like does not get your dream. (laughs) Talk about the part you wanted, the the dysfunctional family that not getting you, uh, you wanted to play in this book
1: okay well first i have to say mom in the book is not my mom she is not (laughs) mom you don't have to worry it's not you <laughs> My mom was as supportive as she could be. She would never actively stop me from from trying to pursue music. But um every family has dysfunction, but it's almost justified, almost justified in this book. The family, you know, they want Ray to sell his violin so they can split the money and why would you not? It's it's a 10 million dollar violin. You know, they it's five of them. They could they could make pretty good money and and live pretty well for the rest of their lives as he he would just do that. Who wouldn't want that? And in the case of mom, you know, i'd liked to uh, leave her character open ended. You know, a lot of people see her as just this selfish, greedy person, but maybe this was her way of protecting him. Maybe it was, you know, she didn't think that he would be successful because she didn't understand what it is that he does and she'd never seen a black person be successful at what it is that he does and you know, she wanted him to be safe you know, maybe this was her way of doing that. Or maybe she was just greedy. Who knows? (laughs) I left it open to the the reader to decide.
0: So there were plenty of great supports in the book, characters who supported Ray. One, of course, was Grandma Nora, who provided Pop-Up's fiddle to you. But I was often overcome by how much Dr. Janice, who was your mentor, did for Ray. Because it made me think, and you talked about this through the character in your book, how many kids fail because it's, it's not that they're not good, they just don't have any strong advocate for their talent.
1: Absolutely. Um, and and in the book, Dr. Janice Stevens is uh I, I modeled her after my violin teacher, Dr. Rochelle Vetter Huang, who without her, I would absolutely not be here. You know, just all it takes is one person. And for me, she was that one person. I wanted to quit. You know, I I did a a a horrible, horrible performance and i was ready to quit i just left and i was like all right i'm done i can't do this this is not for me and you know she called me actually called and said you know yes that was not great but we can learn from it what are we going to do better next time and she really encouraged me and i tell you when i tell you that i went out the next time and performed i just destroyed it and and i just you know just because of her encouragement and and her mentorship for me. And it was just amazing. And it affected me for the rest of my life. And everyone should have someone like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was very touching. It, it, it actually brought tears to my eyes a couple of times about just the lens that she went to and then how Ray received it as well. I mean, it was, it was just a beautiful thing. So as often happens with any book, there can be be many audiences, and also there could be several levels by which the audience engage. So I look at the book, it's a great mystery, people love mysteries, it's a great story, and it's a world that most people don't know in general, so you are drawing a lot of audience to that. But on another level, this is me speaking for all Black people in this moment, so just, I'm claiming it. Um, You have a whole (laughs) other conversation, communal conversation going on about What does it mean to be black? What do we say to people who don't seem to fit into the slot that we assume a lot of black people fit in? So I'd like you to speak to that.
1: Yeah. um, You know, some some people call it a black tax. Some people just call it being black. And uh, a lot of people just don't get it. And uh, that, that's also another reason I wanted to write this book, just to give validation to everyone who's had to go through what we go through all the time and for people to really see yet yeah, things like this do happen. Yes, we've got to work twice as hard to get half of the results that, that someone else gets. That is a real thing. Uh, yes, we do get treated differently, whatever the reason, you know, people, well, no, if you just do this, then no, it's not like that. It's just, you know, it's an experience that, that you haven't had. And it, my, my experience is no less valid than yours, just because it's different. And, uh, it's really a, an eye opener for people. You know, I've, I've had people come up to me and say, "Now, there's, I'm I'm sorry. They come up and apologize. Like, Why are you apologizing? I didn't know you had to go through that. Well, I appreciate your apology, but it, I don't really need an apology. I just need acknowledgement that these things happen and you know that we can start with an acknowledgement and then we can work to make things a little bit better for everybody.
0: Well, here's another piece of that communal conversation going on among African-Americans. The whole, is there a responsibility for the one who got out? Because Ray got out. And so now you have all the rest of the family that didn't per se get out. And what is the responsibility of, of what W.E.B. Du Bois would call the Talented Tenth? So Ray McMillan would be considered one of the Talented Tenth. He's doing quite well. You know, the family in this book, of course, is is dragging him back down. But is there a responsibility <laughs> for those who got out? And, and, you know, you see him struggle with that in the book.
1: I think so. Personally, I think so. I mean, not even just as a black man, but just as a human being. It's like, why why wouldn't you want to help someone to do better? I don't like to see people struggling. I don't like to see people sad. Um, and if there's anything that I can do to, to make someone's life a little bit easier, I'm going to do it 100% because I have been the recipient of, of getting that help. And I always, always want to pay it forward. And um i just think that it's the right thing to do regardless of of your color i just think that it's the right thing to do
0: well let's talk about all the fun stuff now that's happened since this book happened are you surprised by this you are one of the buzziest books named for this season i already know i'll look around the beach on martha's vineyard and everybody'll be reading it <laughs> this summer <laughs> um the screen rights have already been bought they're talking about making a movie out out of it you're finishing your second novel i mean do you even play anymore you're you're on you're onto a whole other <laughs> career what's happening
1: <laughs> uh wow it it is it is I, I you said surprised shocked is more like it i i just set out to write a story that i hoped people would like that was my only intention and um the the response has just been it's literally been overwhelming i have Done a lot of traveling. I've met so many people, just different uh, authors, and it just okay. The fact that that Sony bought the screen rights before the book was even published, I just, I mean, I, I, I'm sitting on a call with with the different production companies, and are you? Is this really happening? Really? Okay. Well, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's go with this. And just the fact that it's going to be, it's probably going to end up being a, a limited series like on Netflix or HBO or something like that. But, um, it's, it's still incredible. And just the, the reception that this has gotten, it's still shocking to me every day I wake up and I pinch myself and I, you know, first thing I do is, is say my prayers and say, thank you, Lord, for all of this. And it's, it's amazing. I just wish I had more sleep.
0: Well, all I can say is the last author I talked to whose book got purchased before finishing was Margot Shepley of Hidden Figures. You see how that turned out? Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She was shocked, too. (laughs) Uh, So I'm looking forward to how this comes together on the screen. And again, when is your second novel? Because I said you're finishing up your second novel. You're almost done, right?
1: I actually have turned the manuscript in, and my editor's been giving me some revisions to do, which I'm probably going to tackle next week. Um, and it should be out February of 23, and I'm really excited about this story. It's it's a it's a great story. It really is.
0: So is Ray a standalone, or is he carried over into your new book?
1: I've been asked that question a couple of times. Um, I go back and forth. I, I think that Ray's story is probably done, but you never know. There might be a middle-aged Ray story <laughs> in there somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, and then maybe I, I, it'll, I'll make him old enough to look like me so I can play him in the, in the, in the next movie.
0: <laughs> That'll work, too. I always ask my authors, what do you want people to take away from reading the book?
1: I want people to take away um, the fact that music is for everyone. It doesn't matter what your skin color is, doesn't matter your zip code, doesn't matter your bank account. It's it's for everybody, and it can do something for everyone because it really does save lives. And um, just everyone, just open your eyes, everybody, open your eyes, and be receptive to things. Be receptive. Uh, know that just because someone does not look like you, that they are not incapable. Um, just be be accepting, be accepting of each other. Let's, let's be kind to each other.
0: And for all the potential writers out there listening to these conversations, where do you write and what is your writing process?
1: I write, I start in my living room with my feet up and then I flip over onto my stomach and then I'm on my back with my computer on my chest. And then I finish out in my office, sitting up in my chair. Um, that's just, I don't know how to do it with the TV on in the background. I would say to all the budding writers out there, just, you know, write what you know and write honestly, because if you don't believe it, how can you expect anyone else to? Um, I outline like crazy outline, outline, outline parts one, part two, part three, what's going in here just to keep the pacing up. And, and that's the best advice that I've ever been given. And I'm going to give it out.
0: Do you write every day and how long?
1: When I'm working on a book, which I'm about to actually start working on my third book, I write daily. I don't like to skip any days and usually for about two to three hours a day.
0: All right. So does that mean that I was serious about this question? Does Brendan Slocum no longer show up in orchestras now to play? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, um to be perfectly honest, it's it, it it's oh, it's it's a great problem to have, but it is a problem. I um was a concertmaster for the Nova Annandale Symphony here in in, in Virginia. And I literally, uh, last week at rehearsal, I told them, yeah, I'm not going to be able to play this concert. This is going to be my last rehearsal for a while. I will be in Los Angeles at a book festival the day of the concert. So that's not going to work out. But I am going to do a lot more uh, chamber music playing. So I've gotten my quartet together and we're going to do a lot of playing. We're planning a couple of recitals.
0: And we should note that Ray, the character, plays jazz, too, in his spare time. Do you?
1: You know what? I was living vicariously through Ray. I <laughs> Jazz and bluegrass, I tell you, those are two of the most difficult genres of music to play on violin. And if you can do it, Ray can do it. I say He, he can do it. Brendan can't do it. So let Ray do it.
0: I just want to conclude by saying I almost read this in one sitting. It's that entertaining. So thank you so much for joining me.
1: <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Brendan Slocum is a violinist who has played in orchestras throughout Northern Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C., and the North Carolina native has taught public and private school education for more than 20 years. The Violin Conspiracy is his first book and our April selection for bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. It's available in bookstores and online now. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming under the radar with callie crossley is a production of gbh produced by hannah Ubeli and engineered by dave goodman our intern is vanessa handy our theme music is fish and chips by we are two Satsies, grace kelly and leo p listen again on thursday and see you here at 6 p.m next sunday for a new episode i'm callie crossley thanks for listening